Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, as we look at those first two verses of the fifth chapter of Matthew. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus being the teacher. Now, when I was putting this message together, I was thinking about really the preeminence, if you will, of education in our area as we think about it. I mean, the prominence and preeminence of the education itself. And think about how many people really just invest so much in our area of teaching, of educating, of helping individuals learn in different areas, in different manners. We have public schools, we have private schools, we have two universities in our parish. Think about it. And I would say to you that if you look across our congregation, you would find a lot of educators and you would find a lot of people who are involved in education itself within our community. You'd find a lot of people. What almost, I, actually, I would like to see how many of you are teachers or involved in education or even retired educators? How many of you are in here? Wow. I can't see you in the gathering as well, but hopefully there are a couple of you up there as well. But education is so prominent in who we are as we think about teachers, as we think about people who invest in others. And I want to show you this morning that Jesus himself was a teacher. Now, he was more than a teacher. We'll talk about that at the end. But he was a teacher. Over 60 times in the Gospels, he's referred to as a teacher or a rabbi, somebody that is investing and instructing other people. And there's so many different passages that we could look at as far as seeing Jesus as the teacher. But I, I want to, I really want to just stop here this morning in these first two verses of the fifth chapter of Matthew as he's getting ready to give to us this extended section of teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, it will be called. And I want to just visit in these two verses for just a few moments this morning, okay? Because there in verse one, it says, Jesus that he is seeing the multitudes, that he went up into a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So get this picture, okay? Here's Jesus, and he sees the multitudes of people. And he decides that, you know, this is a good opportunity, obviously, to be able to share, to be able to teach, to be able to instruct other people. It's kind of like, kind of like any preacher, right? When we see a big crowd or we see people around that are willing to listen, or at least they are captivated, they can't go anywhere for a while. What does a preacher want to do? He wants to preach. He wants to share. So here's Jesus. He's seeing all these different people. So he finds a place to be seated and he begins teaching. But note specifically that his teaching is in relationship to discipleship. That is, what he's doing is trying to, he is trying to form more disciples, more followers who will seek him and who will serve him throughout their lives. What he's trying to do is actually work toward discipleship. The scripture says that his disciples came to him. So I need to kind of flesh this idea of teacher, student, rabbi, disciple. I, I think I need to flesh that out for us just a little bit this morning, because when you think about Jesus as the teacher, you've got to also understand the concept of discipleship. 
And you've got to look at the teachers, that is Jesus' method of discipleship. What did Jesus do to, to bring disciples along with him, to create followers? What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus simply invited people to come. He invited people to follow him. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, which comes right before chapter 5, right? In chapter 4, he is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, and he invites them to follow him. He sees two others, two other brothers, four fishermen. He invites to come after him. He simply, he simply extends the invitation, follow me. Follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but it's always seemed a little bit strange to me that people would just drop their nets and drop what they were doing and just follow. Now, I know that it's Jesus, okay? I know that. I know some of you say, well, if you'd be Jesus, people would follow. I know that. But it's always seemed a little strange to me that Jesus could just say, follow me, and people would just, they would just come after him. Now, I believe personally that they had probably interacted with Jesus. At the very least, they had heard about Jesus. They had heard about his message. They had heard about his story. They had heard about his instruction. I believe they had. And this invitation, follow me, was, a, was an invitation that would have been extended by many different rabbis during the day. In other words, it was something that they would have been, they would have been familiar with. Is that the idea of follow me means Hey, come be my student. Sit under my instruction. Listen to my words. Follow my model. Accept my yoke, if you will, for some time in your life. So that would be an, a normal invitation of any rabbi, as a rabbi would extend to individuals this invitation to follow. Jesus says, come follow me. I'm the teacher. I'm the rabbi that you need to follow. Come follow me. So four fishermen in chapter 4. Later on in chapter 9, Matthew, who writes this gospel, will actually give you his account of how he was to follow Jesus as well. And then, of course, we know there were other disciples who decided that they would follow Jesus. This simple invitation. That's where it begins with discipleship. If you're to be a disciple, you must respond to the invitation of Jesus. And the invitation of Jesus is still, come follow me. Just come follow me. Come listen to me. Come seek my instruction. Follow me. And what I've noted about this, I was even thinking about it again before I got up to preach. And I said, you know, as, as I was thinking about these fishermen and thinking about Matthew, who was a tax collector and all the others. Isn't it amazing how like he extended the invitation to all kinds of different people? Like just ordinary, regular people. Whether you are a fisherman or whether you are a tax collector. And I'm not sure. Is there some similarity, by the way, in that? Maybe in, anyway. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, the invitation of Jesus is follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to start there. And, and God has called all kinds of different people. I mean, in this multitude of individuals who are going to come to the, hear this great sermon on the mount, there are all types of individuals. 
And I am so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that Jesus still extends the invitation to all kinds of people today. And I'm proud that he extends the invitation to those of us who are just regular, ordinary folk. That he calls us. And he says, come follow me. So it is an invitation. His method of discipleship begins with an invitation. And it really continues with an investment. The investment of Jesus in their lives. Now, let me stop here just a moment. What is the goal of every student and disciple? Think about it just a moment. Even in the classroom, what is the goal of the student? The goal of the student is certainly to learn, certainly to apply, certainly to be able to take the basic facts and somehow integrate those facts into their work or their life or whatever else. But may I give you this just simple goal, especially as you look at discipleship and the life of Jesus. The goal of every disciple is to become more like the teacher, to become more like the rabbi, to become more like that one, the master who is instructing them. So if you're, you're a student, in a sense, what do you want to do? You want to become more like the teacher. Now, some of you kind of are concerned about that now. You had a few teachers maybe that you didn't want to be like. Let me say specifically in the area of their expertise and what they did, you want to become more like them. I remember sitting there at Blue Mountain College and, and hearing Dr. Bain like go through the Greek words and all that kind of stuff. And, and I always said, man, I just love if I could one day be like Dr. Bain in this area, in Greek. And then I'd hear Dr. Meeks preach. And Dr. Meeks would speak with clarity and power. And I mean, he would get excited about things. And I would hear him and I would say, if, if I could only one day get into the pulpit and preach like Dr. Meeks. Because, you know, Dr. Meeks, I mean, he is incredible. But that also extended across the disciplines, across the other studies that I had. I don't know why, but at Blue Mountain, I took calculus. How does calculus help a preacher? I'm not doing derivatives. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff each day. I remember sitting in the academic dean's office, Dean Washburn. And at Blue Mountain, when you came into school, dean, the dean would meet with you and he would schedule out all the classes that you're going to take from here to the time you finish. And he would say, this is the course that you're on. If you take this every semester and do what I tell you to do, you will graduate on time. Some of you probably wish you had some deans like that, right? He said, just take it. So I remember sitting in there and he said, oh, Reggie, I'm looking at your transcripts and I think you need to take calculus. I said, what? what? <laughs> he said, I, I think you need to take some, some calculus here at Blue Mountain. I said, mm, Dean Washburn, I, I, couldn't I just take algebra? I mean, or may, maybe, I mean, Maybe, maybe I could even, hey, don't you have one of those basket weaving classes? I, I hear they teach them over at Mississippi State. Is there something that I could, <laughs> that I could take here like that? And um, they, were, they were like, uh, no, he said, you're going to take calculus. So I took calculus. And what was my goal? Well, yes, to get out of the class, obviously. 
But I did say, okay, let me, let me listen to Miss Brooks and let me try to become more, as much like her as possible so that I can pass the test. I remember all the other teachers and professors I was trying to become more like in that area. Dr. Betty, if she taught me Shakespeare, I said, okay, let me give my, give my life in, to Shakespeare for some time. She always reminded me, Dr. Betty looked at me and she said, Reggie, you just remember one of these days, all that Greek stuff you're going to lose, but Shakespeare will be with you forever, she said. It's still with me. I'm not sure it's the way she wanted it with me, but it's still with me. You want to become more like the teacher. That's the disciple. Jesus says, follow me. And the goal of that disciple, that goal of that student, the goal of those who are sitting there listening to him, the goal is to become more like Jesus. May I just suggest to you, the goal of discipleship has never changed. If you are a follower of Christ, that is, if Jesus has invited you, no matter who you are, what you've done, or your background, if he's invited you into the kingdom, and you've accepted it, and you proclaim to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, then the goal of your life is to become more like the son every day. The goal of your life is to become more like the teacher. The goal of your life is to become more like Jesus himself. How do we know that we are maturing in Christ? It is not just by the verses we read or the verses we memorize. That can be a great part of it. It is not about just how many church services we attend each week, which that can help us and aid us. It's not about whether or not we do this or that within the church's life, although that's good, those are good things to do. Your measure of maturity is how much you look like Jesus day in and day out. And that is the reason that I pray. That is the reason I pray that you and I look more like him every day. I have to ask myself a question. Do I look more like him right now than I did five years ago? Do I look more like the teacher now than I did 20 years ago? Do I look more like him? Hey, do I look more like him now than I did a week ago? Because the goal of the disciple is to become more like the teacher. Note here, how did they become like Jesus? How did they hear the teacher? They stayed with him. They stayed with him. They were with him all the time. Here he is. He's going up on the mount, this multitude. Guess what? The disciples are right there with him. Why? Because the disciples stayed with Jesus. They stayed around him. I, I think it is important for us to offer discipleship opportunities within our church. I think, it's, I think it is paramount that we have small groups like Sunday school, small groups like women Bible study, men's Bible study. All that, I think that is important. I do. I think we in our churches lost a little something some years ago when we stopped having some of the small groups on Sunday evenings that we used to call training union or whatever else. I think we missed a little something. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm a believer in those small groups. Don't, so don't, don't take this the wrong way. I'm a believer in all that. But you're not going to become a disciple just by going to a class each week. It may help you. You're going to be a disciple by staying with Jesus day in and day out of your life. 
There is no quick discipleship methods. It doesn't say if you come to six weeks of class, we'll teach you how to be a disciple and you will be the disciple you should be. No. What I have found in my discipleship and what I believe these disciples found here is they had to stay with Jesus and listen to him day in and day out. The method of discipleship was that they would, they would lay down in close proximity to him at night. They would get up in the morning and they would see his life and they would hear him. And I'm going to say to you, the only way we can look more like Jesus is to spend more time with him. How are you going to know what the teacher says if you don't spend time with him? How are you going to know what the teacher instructs you to do if you do not take time? He went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him because they wanted to be with him, because they were with him constantly to hear what he would say. Time is the essential ingredient and when we love people we want to spend time with them right when we care for individuals we want to be around them hey some of you people who've uh dated you've had moments what didn't you want to be with that girlfriend or be with that boyfriend you wanted to make an extra trip you wanted to see individuals yes and those that you love now, maybe your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, you want to spend time with. You want to spend time with Jesus so that he can instruct and guide and lead so that each and every day you can look more like him. Well, the teacher's method of discipleship or for discipleship was that Jesus would invite and then he would invest. And what he still does is invite us into his kingdom Hey, come learn from me and let me invest in you. Let me work in you. Let me change you. Let me do something special in your life. Well, and then you have the teacher's mes message for discipleship. And, and it's, it's a message of authenticity and it's a message of authority when you look through this. So he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Again, here he teaches He's going to give them some basic uh, words uh, for ethics, for living. He's going to speak to them about their character, about their relationships, about prayer. He's going to speak to them in this way of teaching. The teaching ministry of Jesus is highlighted in the Gospel of Matthew in particular. Now, Matthew was writing to, I think, a group of predominantly Jewish background folks, okay? And he is saying to them that Jesus is the ultimate rabbi. He is the ultimate teacher. And Matthew, in particular, emphasizes the ministry of teaching in Jesus' life. Actually, I wanted to show you this. I, I think we have the slide of five different teaching sections and discourses in the book of Matthew. You can look at that if you want to jot it down real quickly. These are five extended teaching areas of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Because Matthew wanted us to see that Christ was a teacher. He had already told us, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, that Jesus was going about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. 
So Jesus was teaching and Jesus was preaching. What was he preaching and teaching? Basically, the good news of the kingdom. The good news of what God was doing now in a new and fresh way through him. It was an authentic message. I wished I could work through some of this. And uh, man, Matthew 5 through 7. When I first put my scripture down to preach today, I did it some months ago, actually. I just put Matthew 5 through 7 down. And those who saw that, I think they got very, very nervous. I think they wanted to start turning in their vacation leaves or so. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. But it's great stuff. It's awesome. One of these days I'm going to preach just on the Sermon on the Mount. But for this morning, maybe I can just encapsulate a couple of ideas here. And that is, when Jesus was preaching this message, he was preaching a message of authenticity. He talked to him about what true character of the disciple looked like. We call them the Beatitudes. This is what a disciple looks like. This is how we are to respond. We are poor in spirit. We are those who mourn. We are meek. We are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are those who are merciful. We are those who are pure in heart. We are those who are peacemakers. We are those who are even persecuted for his name's sake. This is what the character of the disciple looks like. It's an authentic characteristic of who we are. He'll go in and he'll speak about relationships. He'll talk about uh, the relationships we're to have with the world. He'll talk about the relationships we're to have with our spouse, the relationships we're to have with our family. He'll talk about the relationships even that we are to have with our enemy. He'll talk about how we are to be authentic in our prayer life. And over and over through this sermon, he'll speak about how we are to be real and authentic. I think the key verse of the message is chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20, in which he says, basically, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that a moment. Now I know you and I did not necessarily grow up in a Jewish background, especially a New Testament kind of Jewish concept. But for the New Testament Jews who were listening to this, and Jesus just said, your righteousness, your idea of what is right and wrong, and your, your doing right and all of that, he says, unless that concept of righteousness, your concept of righteousness, far exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, all the leadership basically is what he's saying here. Unless it somehow goes way past all the Jewish leadership, then you're by no means going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I would tell you that if I had been Peter, I would have probably said, I have no hope. Especially at this point. If I got to be better, I mean, because remember, those are the godly folks of the culture, okay? These are the good-looking people. Let me, these are the people who practice it. They fast and they pray and they do everything. I'd probably say, I'm out, Jesus. There's no way. But we come to find out what Jesus is preaching and teaching here is that your righteousness must go beyond, your concept of righteousness must go beyond what they've accepted because, one, what they've accepted is an external righteousness, 
Later on, he'll talk about how all they're doing, what they're doing is for their own outward reward. Oh, yeah, they're praying so everybody can hear. They're fasting so everybody will give them a pat on the back. They're giving, oh, yeah, so they'll be esteemed among the congregation. For them, that's righteousness. Our righteousness, righteousness must go beyond that. It must be real and authentic. And thanks be to God, obviously, as we fast forward in the New Testament, we know what? That our ultimate righteousness, nothing but filthy rags before God, that our concept of righteousness is not found in who we are, it is found in who He is. And one of these days, when I stand before the God Himself, it will not be my righteousness that the Father sees. It will be the righteousness of the Son which has been imputed to me. Is this not awesome? You and I will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the only way we ever get into the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it on your own. And all these other people are trying to do it on their own. You can't do it on your own. So that's what he was teaching his disciples. It was authenticity. And he was speaking with authority. In verse 21, verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, verse 43, he'll say, you have heard it said. In other words, you've heard all these things taught and said in the Scripture. But I say unto you. In other words, Jesus claimed authority, right? He had a distinct sense of authority in his teaching. He was like the new Moses, Yes, he was. A few moments ago, well, here it is. It's still here, the five different teaching sections. Think about this a moment. How many books, according to history, did Moses write? Five. The first five books of our scripture. According to tradition, Moses wrote those. It's what the Jews understand. So they wrote, he wrote five books. Here's Jesus, according to Matthew, giving us five extended teaching sessions of Jesus. Again, Matthew's writing to a Jewish mind. So what they would see here, I believe, is that this is like a new Moses. Remember, he had gone to the mount as well here in chapter 5 to teach just as Moses went to the mount to be able to receive the revelation of God. Jesus is a new type of Moses with authority. But this is what's awesome. Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Because he said, you've heard it said, but now I say unto you. Jesus was claiming authority. And how could he claim that authority? Because he is the very one who gave the word to begin with. Jesus was the very one who gave those Ten Commandments to Moses. Jesus is the very one who penned our scripture. I know some of you have Bibles like I do where the words in red reflect the words of Jesus. I would tell you that the whole scripture could be in red. Because it all comes ultimately from him. And when he speaks with a word of authenticity, he speaks with a word of authority for our lives because he is the teacher. Later on in chapter 7, as he finishes up his message, he says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes, they just told you what everybody else said. I mean, if you look at their practice, they would just study, comment. This is what this one said, and this one's what this one said. Jesus said, I'm not worried about what everybody else said. This is what I say. And he spoke with authority. 
And they were astonished that Jesus had such authority. He was not like the others. He was a new Moses, but he was greater than Moses. Because the teacher, Jesus, gave us the ultimate model and example of what discipleship was. He gives us a message. He works through his method of working and, and, and bringing us to his image. But this is what you and I need to understand. When he's teaching the word, there is authority that is there because he is the word. Remember what the scripture says to us? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. It means Jesus was the word. Now, those of you who come on Wednesday nights, I began a study, First John just a couple of three weeks ago. And I gave you a term. A term that you find in the New Testament in the original language. The term is logos. Logos is the Greek word for word. But it's more than just a word. It's more than just a spoken word, that is. It means that it is the principle, the pattern, the blueprint behind everything else. The Greeks would have spoken about a logos, the idea that there's something out there that's holding everything together, that it is the blueprint for a life, that it is the principle that organizes everything together. That's the way the Greeks understood it. John writes and says, hey, uh, you know, you've been talking about the logos for some time. Just, just so you know, Jesus is the logos. Jesus is that which holds everything else together. He is the model behind it all. He is the blueprint for life. He is the paradigm for who we are. It is Jesus who is the Logos. So in other words, when you see him as the teacher, he is giving us the word because he is the word himself. We have the written word, but he was the living word. And he is the blueprint for life. When we look at his life and, and he he exemplified it, did he not? Don't you love a preacher who actually lives what he preaches? You obviously don't have one. That was deafening silence. I do pray those in the gathering had more faith in me. You got to love somebody that actually lives what they say. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, when he opened his mouth and began to teach, they knew that Jesus was one who actually exemplified these things. He was one that actually demonstrated authenticity in who he was. He was one who showed us by his very life. That's, again, the reason you got to stay with him. Because you hear what he says, but you also get to see what the teacher does. And how he exemplifies it. How he shows us the ideal. He is the intention. He is the one that was fully human. And for all of us who are trying to strive, it, he is the model and the example for us to what it means to be fully human in our lives. He is the Logos. Which means he is also Lord. Because I would love to tell you today that my giving you this idea of Jesus as a teacher is, is going to be adequate, but it's not really adequate because some people in this place would probably say, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. 
He, he taught some good things. He gave us a good ethic to live by. But I would say to you that there are a lot of, in our culture that will agree with that. And yet they don't know him. They're not true disciples. Actually, if you look back in history, Gandhi himself thought this, thought this section of Scripture was so good, so relevant. He gave a great ethic. Jesus did not come as a teacher just to give a good ethic. He came to give eternal life. Now that life is a life that we need to enjoy and enjoy it abundantly. And how do we do that? We do that by following his will and seeking him. But Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Too many people say, oh, he's a good man. They even have some kind of idea about him and his teachings. But Jesus is Lord. He is the Logos. He is Lord. And he is the only one that we should submit our lives to in true discipleship. Matthew 23, 10, he'll even say, there is only one teacher, one guide, and that is the Christ. Speaking of himself, he said, there's only one. And for us today, many of us in this place, we've yielded to him and we followed. We heard the invitation. Thanks be to God. We followed we said, we want to be disciples, Jesus. We want, to, we want to be with you. Well, he's the teacher. He's faithful. He wants to invest in you and pour into you. But you got to stay with him. You got to hear him. You got to hear his message of authenticity. You got to allow him to speak to you with authority like no one else. You got to recognize he's the model and the example for who you are and for who I am. So listen to the invitation again. Follow me. So simple. But also difficult as well. Follow me. Today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can begin that journey. You can begin this discipleship now. For those of you who have accepted him, do you need to follow a little closely, more closely? Do you need to listen a little better? Do you need to become more like the teacher? I know I do. Maybe we ought to commit ourselves to be more like the teacher and to hear his words each and every day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for these moments we've had together. Father, I thank you for those that you have called to yourself and for those you're continuing to call to discipleship. God, you've not called us to be spectators or fans cheering you on. You, we've, you've actually called us to be followers. And God, I pray this morning that first 
you would save that one which is lost and that for those of us who are saved, you would draw us closer in our walk with you and that we would listen, we would see, we would follow, we would give our time in that effort. God, be with us. Speak to us during this moment of commitment and invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?